0: Let's humble our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Almighty Yahweh, we're so grateful to come before you on this Sabbath day, the highlight of our week, a time we can lay aside the cares and trivial things of this world and focus on you, the things that really matter. We pray, Almighty Yahweh, that you'll bless this gathering and those who are within earshot. We pray that the lessons that your word gives us will be embedded within our hearts and minds that we might become closer to your son, Yahshua, and the walk that he showed us. May we also remember all that he did for us and all that he suffered for us. And may we always have his mind, no matter what the situation might be, when this world has us influenced one way or the other, that we might Go back and remember what it's really important and what we need to do as we follow in the pathway of Yahshua one day to be accepted by you into your kingdom. We pray for those that are sick, those that are healing, and that you would be there, Yahweh Rapha, and that you would encourage them and uplift them. We also pray for those who are sincerely seeking that we might be a light to them. In Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah. You may be seated. You know, one of the ways we can prove to our Jewish friends and others that Yasha was the Messiah is how Yasha perfectly fulfilled the prophecies about him. For instance, in Isaiah 53... We read it at Passover, read about, you, you see Yahshua practically in every verse. And the odds are stratospheric that anyone other than he could have fulfilled all of those prophecies in that chapter of Isaiah. In fact, he fulfilled over 300 biblical prophecies most of which were written hundreds of years before his birth. Mathematicians say the possibility of one person fulfilling just eight biblical prophecies is one in a hundred followed by 15 zeros. That's a lot of zeros. The probability or the odds that one person could fulfill 48 prophecies is one. In 10 to the 157th power, that's a lot more zeros. The possibility that one person could fulfill 300 prophecies, only Yahshua, only Yahshua. Prophetic fulfillment is just one of several ways we can prove that Yahshua was the Messiah. just one of the ways we can look in the scriptures and say, yes, he was the man spoken of in this word. That's one of the ways. Another is in types, types and antitypes. In scripture, for, for instance, we see Moses as a type of Yahshua, Abraham as a type of Yahweh, Joseph as a type of Yahshua. There's a lot more men who are types of Yahshua. The parallels in their lives, their actions, and their history are unmistakable. And you can see Yahshua come through in every one of them. You can see Yahshua becoming who he said he would be through the lives of other men. And although Joshua, the son of Nun, doesn't usually get much airtime, he's also a key type of Yahshua, a very important type of Yahshua. His name itself is a dead giveaway. You figure the J should be a Y. You've almost got Joshua's name right there. So when we look at the, the, the types here, we can see many important truths coming through. If you uh, forget the Latinized Greek Jesus and focus on his Hebrew name, so many truths come through. None... You know, he's a son of none. You know, the old joke is he didn't have father and mother because he was a son of none. You know, but N-U-N, N-U-N means perpetuity. He's the son of perpetuity. Who is Yahshua? The son of Yahweh, perpetuity. So as we find in the Restoration Study Bible, he is another key to Yahshua in this manner as well. Hebrews 4.8 and Acts 7.45 show that even the translators misfired when they substituted the wrong name in the translation. They substituted Jesus, I should say Joshua, for Jesus and rendered those verses nonsense. In the King James, at least. Well, you know, in a backhanded way, Their confusion over these two names reveals that Joshua or Yahshua is the original name. Show that to your friends sometime. Say, look look it up. Acts 7.45, Hebrews 4.8. And you'll see that the name was changed when it shouldn't have been changed. It should have been Joshua as we have done in the uh, Restoration Study Bible. No question about it, he was a great leader and a... Consistent example of a true believer. He doesn't get a lot of attention. But I want to give him some attention today. I want to show just how important this man was in the history of Israel. Who was called at an important, crucial time in Israel's history. Very important. Israel was about to realize the promise that Yahweh made to Abraham of having their own land. Having their own destiny, their own promise. The wheels were in motion until Moses disobeyed and everything came to a screeching halt. Yahweh's solution was in the man Joshua. And since Moses was now disqualified, Joshua would take Israel into the land of promise that Yahweh had given. In the same vein, the sin of man renders us unable to get to our promise, the kingdom, without Yahshua leading the way, making salvation possible. As we read the book of Joshua, we see impressive leadership qualities in this man. And you can see why Yahweh would choose him. It's, he's, a, he's a very fascinating character, a very devout man. And you can see, again, why, why Yahweh would, uh, would want him serving him in this leadership quality. And the same thing we see when we look at Yahshua, same thing. We see a leadership there far and above the norm, far and above. Without, without the consistency that we see in this man... And without consistency that we have in our walk, we're just lukewarm. We're lukewarm. Another one of Joshua's virtues that made him Yahweh's top choice to lead Israel was that he was compliant, compliant. He didn't turn Yahweh down, went tapped for a mission, but instead went willingly, just as Joshua did in Isaiah 53. He went and did what he was called to do, to sacrifice himself for us even to death to be used of Yahweh both now and in the future kingdom we've got to first make ourselves available and that's what we do when we're called we make ourselves available we don't turn Yahweh down we follow the truth at least we should Not, not everybody does but they don't have the vision they don't have apparently the stuff that Yahweh is looking for the prophet Isaiah shows this essential quality in 6.8. I heard the voice of Yahweh saying, saying to the prophet, when shall I, uh, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here I am, send me, send me. He made himself available. He was compliant. Serving the assembly in a variety of ways shows our own availability when called upon in various ways. We're asked to do something, maybe lead a prayer, maybe help out in some physical way. We do what we're asked to do. We're compliant. That's part of being like Joshua and Joshua. Joshua was available for service at any time. He was available to search out the land of Canaan with Caleb. Remember the two went in? Everybody else said, oh, we can't, we can't go. The rest of the team says, yeah, it's a great place, but... No way, no way are we able to take these people. They're big, they're giants. We're like grasshoppers. I mean, you know, uh, a little hyperbole is typical of uh, Israelites. But, we, we, you know, they they build it up. You know, they pump it up. No, 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 there's just no way. Okay, there's no way. We just turn around and go home. Go back to Egypt. We can't make it. Joshua says, no problem, no problem. Caleb says, no problem. We can take it. We can go. So he says he was available to Moses for taking the Amalekites. But Joshua wasn't just the first one in line when duty called. He showed a desire and a resolve for doing the hard tasks in service of Yahweh. When called upon, Joshua Never hesitated. We don't hear him say, Well, yeah, I'll think about it and get back to you. After a while, I'll, I'll let you know. Get back to you in the morning. He didn't pass the buck. There are others more qualified than you. Why don't you go talk to them? No, even Moses said, I stuttered. I can't do it. Yahweh says, No problem. We got your brother, we got your back. He never questioned the call. Are you sure you want me? Do you think I can really handle this? Nor did he procrastinate. Yeah, I'll do it, but I'll need a few weeks to kind of get ready. That's a big thing. I mean, you, you want me to do? I'll, 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 I'll think about it and then I'll, uh, I'll prepare and then get back to you. Imagine Peter and Andrew answering Yasha's summons to follow me with, "Uh, uh, wait a minute." Uh, uh, there are some personal things we need to take care of back home. You know, my dad and my mom and, and, and you know, uh, we have some problems at home I got to take care of first. We'll catch up with you after that's taken care of, Joshua. Thanks, but no thanks. Matthew 4.20 says they straightway left their nets, dropped their nets, and followed Yahshua. Once I understand the truth, I've got to follow it. There's no backing off of it. There's no hesitation. I do it because it's the truth. It's the most important thing in life. We're guided by Yasha's example in all things. Like the feast. It's part of my salvation. Do I say, uh, no, I'm not sure I can be at the feast this year. i got family commitments. I have... Employment priorities I need to attend to. My car won't run. You know, I, my sister's having a baby. All the silly excuses we hear every year. Can't make the feast. Fill in the blank. And you'll hear the excuses from only the only partially dedicated people. It's not like for a whole year I didn't know the feast was coming. It's not like for a whole year I couldn't prepare, get my car fixed. You know, it's, it's very disheartening to see indifferent attitudes at times by those who know better. And I don't know whether everyone realizes that when you don't do what's commanded of you, if you don't follow up, if you try to get out of it, It has a negative effect, not only on you, but on others and on the brethren. You don't realize it, but it has a negative effect on others. And when it comes to brothers and sisters, what did Yasha say? What you do to them, you're doing to me. You can't read scripture without seeing that the truth involves dedication and consistency. Consistency, brethren. It requires living your convictions, not just alleging them. These young fishermen, Peter and Andrew, immediately dropped their nets and followed Yahshua. No questions, no excuses. There's no reason such uh, dramatic response to the call of Yahshua was just for them. It's for us too. It's for our learning, our or edification. These details weren't put in Scripture just because the writer had some extra ink to, to use up or make the lines come out right on the papyrus. The, every detail is important in Scripture. Every detail. And they're written for an important reason. Paul wrote in, uh, of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10 11, Now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. It's for us. we got to get it. It's for us. We're to learn from everything written and given by inspiration by Yahweh. See, this walk of truth is about priorities. Who are what comes first in our life? That's what it's all about. Who, is, who, who, who really should matter in our life? What treasure are we being stored in heaven? The first commandment is a prohibition against idolatry and the most influential and powerful of which is me. Me. What I want. What's important to me. That's what I do first. That's the way of the world. The command is not to put anything else before Yahweh, including the big M-E. Until we realize this, we're not pleasing Yahweh in our walk. So many times and so many ways and circumstances, Yahweh's instructions are last on our to-do list. Oh, sure, we eventually make room for them, but too often it's at our convenience. If I have enough vacation time... I'll see you at the feast. Or, I'll be there, but I have surgery coming up. You ever thought about rescheduling the surgery? Till after the feast? My son or daughter's getting married. How about telling them to change the date and show them by that how important Yahweh is to you? Show them how important how about have them defer to Yahweh and not the other way around you know make these life situations teaching moments teaching moments it's not all about sitting down with the bible okay we're going to study the bible now no it's about how we live that's part of the teaching part of the teaching i had good parents who didn't give me a lot of wiggle room and they taught me these lessons day by day so that I would learn how important it is to follow Yahweh in all things. I hope you had good upbringing too. You probably did because you're here, you know. People that don't care, kids just fly off and join MS 13 or something stupid like that. Be proactive. Check the biblical calendar before making plans. What's coming up in September? What's coming up at Passover time? When? It's time to be like Peter and Andrew. Throw it on your nets, answer the call, and follow Yahshua without reservation. Show your relatives and friends how important Yahweh is. Teach by example. It may be the best thing that ever happened to them. You know, the people of the world, they plan their schedules around Xmas, Easter, and Thanksgiving. And no one says boo. The culture has no problem yielding to the false holidays. They give you that time off. How much more must we put Yahweh first? Yahweh gives us his Sabbaths. And then watches to see how dedicated we are to observing them. To observing them. The Sabbath, more than anything, is a test of our faithfulness because it's routine. It's every week. Every week we've got to show our faithfulness to him in our lives. Will there be that one compromise, maybe? And then we feel rotten because we compromised his Sabbath. Seventh-day Sabbath observance is not Sunday worship. That's one thing people got to get into their heads. This, this, we're on a different level, you know. Sunday worship, which means less than an hour in the pew on the first day of the week, and it's okay. Let's good times roll. Go home, do whatever we want to do. The answer to truth needs to be that we must deprogram from what we've grown up with Oftentimes. Now, some people have grown up in the truth, which is really a blessing. But having gone through those things, uh, some of us know what that's like. Get rid of those traditions. Yahweh wants the whole Sabbath in honor of him. The walk of truth is all about priorities. You know, the wall of truth is, or the walk of truth is not to be taken lightly. Ezekiel 33, we're, we're studying Ezekiel And uh, this one's coming up. I just happened to notice that. 3331 speaks about our superficial worship. Or about a superficial worship. That's common out there. Quote. And they come unto thee as the people come. And they sit before you as my people. And they hear your words. But they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love. But their heart goes after their covetousness. Their heart goes after the idol, me. That's what they want to satisfy. Yashua had an encounter in Luke 9.59 with an individual who had his priorities a bit confused. You remember the story. He said unto another, follow me. But he said, master, suffer me first to go bury my father. And Yahshua said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go you, and preach the kingdom of Yahweh. Then another said unto the master, and this is of course Yahshua speaking in this parable, I will follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell to them which are at my house. And Yahshua said unto him, what did he say? No man having put his hand to the plow. And looking back, is fit for the kingdom of Yahweh. Why would he say that? Isn't that kind of an odd thing to say? It isn't when we dig down to find out exactly what he's talking about. His response is very revealing. At first blush, his comeback doesn't seem relevant. What did he mean? Hand to the plow and looking back. What's that got to do with it? Let's dig deeper. On closer reflection, we see his point that which is that you don't hesitate, question, or worse, turn back for any reason once you continue and start and continue on this road to salvation. It's full steam ahead and no looking back. This guy was placing others ahead of Yahshua. The fellow was wanting to take time away from Yahshua to spend it with his friends. That's what he was doing. And our Savior Equated it with compromise of the truth, going backward, not forward. What about us? Are we ever AWOL because of priorities from somebody else? Because maybe we got weekend guests ourselves and, uh, you know, got to take care of them? Yasha said making others priority over him impacts our, really, our fitness for the kingdom because we're not fit for the kingdom, he says. Think about it. How about inviting our guests to come with us to services? That would be great, you know. And if they don't, if they don't care to come, well, you've made a significant point. You've made a strong point that Yahweh comes first. Anytime we defer to anyone in this way, they will think, oh, I'm more important than their worship. I'm more important to their, than their dedication. There was a man... Catholic by persuasion, who would, whenever he'd go to a town on Sunday, maybe visiting or whatever, traveling, he'd go to Mass. And he wouldn't miss it. He was that dedicated. He'd get up at 5 in the morning, go to Mass. Shouldn't we have such conviction with the truth when it comes to Yahweh's worship? No other trivialities can get in the way of worship and uh, our commitment as well. Luke 1038. Now, it came to pass, as they went, that he, Yahshua, entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which, was, uh, which also sat at Yahshua's feet and heard his word. But Martha was encumbered about much serving. Everything had to be Okay. Oh, the coffee pot, the, the, the coffee cup is a little off. Oh, tablecloth is a little bit crooked. i got to straighten it out. Joshua's here, you know, and running around, going crazy, trying to get everything just right. So worried about it. Martha was encumbered about much, she said, and came to him and said, Master, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? her therefore, that she help me. I I I can't get everything I can't get everything right. It's everything is is a mess. You gotta tell her to help me. Yasha answered and said, Martha, Martha, you're careful and troubled about trivia stuff. Doesn't matter. I can see past dirt. That isn't important. I wasn't coming here as a dirt inspector. Or I wasn't coming here to make sure everything is perfect. That's not why I was here, why I'm here. You're you're troubled about these things. But one thing is needful. Bold face. One thing is needful, he said. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary involved herself in what mattered. And what was that? Learning from Yahshua. The bigger stuff in life. Learning about salvation. She was directly involved with her eternal future. That's what mattered. You know, sometimes we get all involved in things that, you know, and, 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 and as we age, we become more and more aware of what's trivial, what's trivial. There's so many things in this life are so trivial, and they pass away, and they're just a waste of time. As we mature, we see more and more clearly what matters in our walk. Mary had the right priority, which was Joshua and his teachings. Priority. That's usually taken to mean what is most necessary, but that's not really what that word means. We got to know something more about that word. It's simply a form of the word prior. Prior. A priority is something that comes before something else. Joshua comes before what Martha was involved in. Jeremiah seven twenty seven. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your Elohim. You shall be my people, and walk you in all the ways that I've commanded you, that it may be well with you. That's what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. Okay, speaking to that, let's get back to our man Joshua. He was completely subservient in what he was told to do. Didn't question. Didn't argue. The same way Joshua followed Yahweh's will. Without question. He went as a sheep to the slaughter. He just, you know, did what uh, he was told to do. Didn't resist. Went compliantly. In Exodus 17, Joshua was told to go and fight the Amalekites. While Moses would stand on a hill... With a rod in his hand, holding it up, and you go fight. Joshua could have stopped at that point and said, "Who ever heard of fighting this way? I mean, I and the soldiers are down there in the trenches. We're fighting. What's that got to do with Moses standing up there with his arms in the air?" How was that supposed to work? But in total compliance, Joshua simply did the task the way he was instructed to do it, without disapproval, dissent, or delay. Not only was Joshua available to accept instruction, but he, his, his third virtue is faithfulness. He was faithful. Semper fidelis, always faithful, always loyal. I think the Marines have uh, that as a motto. Joshua was tenacious as well, driven by a deep faith. He didn't quit. He kept fighting until the victory was won. He didn't stand back, didn't retreat, didn't look back. He was faithful at the beginning. When the heat was on, all the way to the end, Joshua never, never wearied of his own mission given by his father either. He wasn't discouraged. Look what his opposition was. Here's Joshua bringing a message that was not popular at all to the religious establishment. They hated him for it. They tried to get him for it any which way they could. Tried to get him, constantly criticizing him, constantly at his heels, constantly trying to discourage him. He wasn't discouraged when the only reason some came to hear him was that so they could have some fish and bread. He didn't discourage him, he kept on preaching. He didn't, discourage, he didn't get discouraged uh, when he faced the daily barbs of criticism and even life-threatening moves by the religious elite. And not even when all his disciples left him at the last moment to die alone. He did it anyway. Many start off full of zeal. Their spiritual hopes ablaze. You know, they just can't wait. They just love the truth. And after a while, it starts to wane. They start to see that not everybody accepts it. In fact, most people don't accept it. Things get tougher, more challenging, even routine. Or when facing critics, they sometimes back off. They find out this walk is more demanding than they thought. We've known those who are... Faithful for about a month before they turn back. We've known those who have been faithful for 50 years and never turned back. Years ago, a man said, you know, you guys out there, you you need to come up with more truth. I know all that stuff you're teaching now. I know it all. You need to come up with something new. And my response was, if you know it all, then go out and preach it. Go out and teach others. You know, go to another level. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Go to to others and preach what you know. You'll find an exhilaration in that. Just sit back and take it all in and not do anything about it. You know, Yasha talked about that, hiding your gifts. Knowledge for the sake of knowledge doesn't profit much. Go out and share with others. That was my message to him. And, you know, and I heard others say, well, you know, you really can't teach me anything. I know it all. I can learn from any message. I can learn, you know, I can learn something, some angle I never thought of before if I really pay attention. And if there's nothing else, I can learn what not to say or what not to do. Or, you know, there's always something you can learn. It's, it's kind of arrogant to say, well, I know it all. Nobody knows it all. And nobody has ever, you know, you have these, these, these preachers that come along and as if Yahweh dumped it all in their lap, and it, it's all, all them. You know, they know all this truth because Yahweh revealed it to them. Baloney. Everybody learns from everybody else. And if the truth be told, they would go and show you where they learned it. Somebody else taught them something. They didn't get it all dumped in their lap. In fact, probably not. The only negative in the life of Joshua is that he had to be corrected when he expressed his displeasure about some guys out there teaching that he didn't think they should be teaching. Remember? Remember the story? Here's the story. Yahweh instructed Moses, make 70 elders to help you do the job. You can't do it alone. In fact, it's just amazing how much you could do with two and a half million people, and he was the judge? I mean, you, you can't even see them all in, in, a, in a month, let alone every day. Anyway, he was to appoint 70 elders, Numbers eleven 16. Two of these elders were Eldad and Medad, and all the elders were instructed to gather at the tent of meeting at the tabernacle to receive the power of Yahweh, to receive the spirit, so that they could you know, carry on this new task they had. But Eldad and Medad stayed away for some reason in the camp. And it's unclear why, but when the spirit fell, they got the spirit too. But they weren't seen with the others. So when they started going out and, and, you know, teaching and preaching, people said, hey, what are these two guys doing? They weren't with the others. In fact, when Joshua heard it, he runs to Moses and said, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, these guys shouldn't be out there. They aren't uh, ordained to this. I mean, they, they weren't there and, you know, all worried. You know, that's where politics gets involved. Anyway, they started teaching apart from the elder, other elders. And up to that time, Moses had been able to, to speak on Yahweh's behalf, so it seemed a little odd that these guys were all of a sudden there doing it. And so Eldad and Medab were prophesying among them and a runner came to Moses to tell him about this development and he says not a problem. He reassured Joshua with the words I wish that all of Yahweh's people were prophets and that Yahweh would put his spirit on them too. We find that in the New Testament don't we? Remember in Acts? Or I think it was Acts. Um, there are a couple guys out preaching and And uh, Yahshua said, let them go. If what they're doing is, you know, legit, is blessed of Yahweh, they'll prosper. If not, it'll fall apart. In other words, if Yahweh approved them by granting the spirit, think about it, then they're good to go, right? If they got the spirit like their others, go, go preach. Use the spirit to give you the insight you need. You got to love Joshua." You know, I, saw, I oh, yeah, he had this one little issue, but, you know, you got to love the guy. He saw things in black and white. This is right. This is wrong. We follow right. We're no more of this wishy-washy stuff that we see so much today. Bending the rules, you know, oh, we can say the name or we don't say the name. It doesn't really matter. It's so much of this stuff going on now. This guy saw things as they should be. Yahweh was important to Joshua. The man went by the letter. Even though sometimes a little flexibility is okay if it doesn't violate any law, you know. But that just was his nature. If I could put two barometers together side by side, measuring a person's desire for Yahweh in one and the other Measuring the effort and dedication that that person puts in his life, I would see a definite correspondence between the two. If you love Yahweh, you're going to show it in your life. If you're lackadaisical about Yahweh, it'll show up in your life. I'll guarantee it. Less love for Yahweh equals less effort put forth and less dedication. Joshua was among the greatest leaders because of his faith. Started with the promised land. He and Caleb, <laughs> we can do it. We can take it. Ten others said, can't do it. Can't do it. No, gonna, you're going to get demolished. They're going to they're steamroll us over. There's no way you can, do, can take that land. Joshua was a leader because he was willing to step up to the plate. Joshua 1, 1 to 6. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, it came to pass that Yahweh spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, your servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, unto the land which I give unto you, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I have given you, just as I told Moses your people from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. How about that? Anything that your foot touches is yours. Like the big land rush, you know, back in the Oklahoma land rush where they get 300 acres or whatever it was, you know, to, All you have to do is go out and stake it. It's yours. Yahweh says this whole country is yours. From the wilderness of this Lebanon even unto the great river Euphrates. There shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not fail nor forsake you. What a promise. I I won't in any way forsake you if you... Stay true to me. Be strong and be of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto your fathers to give them. That's the promise he gave to Moses. the promise he gave to Joshua, who, Moses' successor. Joshua was the leader because he was willing to follow as well as lead. Only be strong, we see in Joshua 1.7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, your servant, my servant, I'm sorry, uh, commanded you. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. All you got to do is be faithful to me. All you got to do, Israel. That's all. That's all. But they couldn't do it. They didn't do it. They had too much allure out there. They had too many distractions. Those Canaanites pulled too hard. They had this and that that they wanted. They had all sorts of mighty ones they worshipped. They had idols all over the place. If you go to Israel, you can still see them. Forgotten which city we were at. You we walk in, and there's idols right outside the gate. Still there, thousands of years later in stone, and they'd probably go up and kiss it before they went in. I don't know what they did, but it's still there because Israel refused to abolish it, to get rid of it, to get rid of the people that Yahweh commanded. Joshua would do it, kind of like old Patton. You know, he wanted to stop at the end of the war. He wanted to go on and take Russia too, but he was overruled. This is how I look at a little bit like Joshua, general. You know, he's just kind of the same way. Gung-ho, let's go, you know. That's the kind of attitude Yahweh wants in us. Be strong and very courageous. He was also a leader because he challenged those around him. Got them to thinking, got them to do things. Joshua 18.3, and Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack?" to go to possess the land which Yahweh, Elohim of your fathers, has given you. How long are you going to wait? It's there. It's ripe for the picking. And you sit here afraid or whatever is holding you back. Get over it. Get out there. Do it. That's what we need. The same encouragement. Get the word out to the world. You know, we could go on and recount the faith of this chosen man, which is exemplary more than most. How he did not bat an eye when told to cross the swollen Jordan River. You know, I'm wondered Yahweh says cross the Jordan, and they kind of, oh, that was like a big feat. Well, you know why? Because guess when they went over there? They went over there at Passover time, right? They ate of the old corn, the old grain. Well, springtime is a flood time. That Jordan River is kind of like the Missouri bank to bank when it floods. And they had to cross it. So what happened? As soon as they took the ark, guys holding the ark, holding the ark, marching it, as soon as their feet hit the water, the water stopped, just like the Red Sea. Stopped. And they could go across. You know, he didn't bat an eye. He didn't say, well, you know, we've got to build some boats. We, we, uh, we're not going to be able to go across this thing. How he conquered Jericho under Yahweh's leadership and saw the walls of that great city just sink right into the ground. Amazing. But he had to march around it, you know, for a week. And seven times, I guess, on the Sabbath to go around it, holding, carrying the ark and blowing trumpets and then it all place. How he had the sun and moon stand still when he wasn't quite finished with, the, with his enemies. He asked that the sun and moon would stand still so he could finish the job and sure enough it's exactly what happened. How it happened. How this earth could stop its rotation and not everything is only in Yahweh's hands. It's only miraculously of Yahweh. Then shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. Joshua 1, 5, and 6. In one of his last speeches, Joshua gave such a heartfelt farewell. It's, it's really, <laughs> it really tugs at your heartstrings, you know it. 23, 3. He kind of uh, reviews a little bit his life and what they had gone through. And and now he says, I'm I'm leaving. I'm going. And you have seen all that Yahweh your Elohim has done unto all these nations because of you. For Yahweh your Elohim is he that has fought for you. Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. That you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. 2314, and behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. I'm going into the ground. I won't be around anymore. I think one of the translations even, uh, we were studying the book of Ezekiel, where it says, son of man, he, he uh, translates that the son of dust. Because man is Adam. What is Adam? Dust. Son of dust. <laughs> and that's where we all end up. He said, I'm going the way of all the earth, the dust. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which Yahweh your Elohim spake concerning you. He didn't fail in anything. He kept true to everything he promised you. It all came to pass and not one thing has failed. And then he says... If it seem evil unto you, if if you, if you don't even accept anything I've said, if it seems evil unto you to serve Yahweh, then choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the mighty ones which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, that means the Jordan, or the mighty ones of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. If you want to go that way, have a ball. But as for me and my family, we're going to serve Yahweh. What a glorious dying testimony. That one still, I mean, of all the words in the Bible. What a thankful man. What a beautiful sunset. What a great example for all of Yahweh's people, brethren. For all time, for now and forever. May Yahweh bless you.